Cue the music! Let's do a show. What's happening, my fellow bipolars, my fellow ADHDers, my fellow members of the mental health community, and those who do support those of us in the mental health community. Welcome back to Jacob's Bipolar Adventures. I am indeed Jacob, and you are not. So in case you were having that existential crisis where you were wondering who you were, you can rest assured that you are not me. So, picking up from where we were last week, I hope that you did enjoy the uh, interview that we had featured last week. I certainly did enjoy conducting the interview. It was a lot of fun for me. And uh, if you did not uh, hear that interview, I do encourage you to go back to the last episode and listen to that interview. It was a lot of fun. And I think that it's something that you can glean a lot of good information from. Um, I think it's something that a lot of us can identify with. A lot of us have been there. A lot of us have done that. Maybe a lot of us are there. And in case you're just wondering, what's he even talking about? Well, that's why you need to go back and listen to that interview so that you can find out what it is that I'm talking about. So, how have you been doing? How's your week been? How's the wife? How's the not wife? How's the husband? How's the not husband? How are the kids? How are the not kids? How's that passion project going? Have you finished it? Have you started it? Are you in the middle of it? What's keeping you from finishing it? Have you even picked up a passion project? Are you in the midst of a hobby? What is your hobby? Feel free to interact with me here on Anchor. You can always leave a message for me on Anchor. You can always interact with me on the Twitter. You can always interact with me on uh, Instagram. You can find all of my information for that here on Anchor. I list all of that information. You can find all of my handles and stuff. We can interact that way. Um, that'll be a whole lot of fun. Some people have reached out to me in that in that way, and um, it's been fun. It's been fun to interact with some people that way. So, what have I been up to? Oh, well, just getting back into the swing of things. Um, you know, after, after the whole COVID experience that I had, 
I've finally been able to get back into the swing of work, get back into the swing of going back to class. Um, I found out that after the module for my medical assisting program, the first module that I even did going into the medical assisting program, that I got a 3.777 GPA for that. So that was honestly kind of um, surprising. I knew that I did well, but I didn't know I did quite that well. So for being out for a 10-day quarantine, trying to keep up with homework from home working online, and then catching up with stuff when I got back to school. Um, you know, I didn't imagine that I was going to hit a 3.777, but I did. So, uh, you know, kudos to me, pat on the back for me. And now that's something that I need to maintain, even improve upon if I can. That was, you know, Delightful. Simply delightful. Please tweet me a congratulations. <laughs> oh boy. But um today's show is gonna be a little bit different um in in what I talk about on meat and potatoes, um how I talk about things. Um I think it's gonna be just a little bit different. Things have been tugging at me after my, honestly, first therapy session with my new therapist. Um, he had an interesting way of getting me to look at things that have still been bothering me. And it's almost embarrassing for me how long some of these things or actually how long one of these issues has been bothering me it's kind of embarrassing i would think that i would be over it and well past it but somehow i'm not and i don't know why and I've been trying to figure out why. I've been trying to suss it out. And I guess that's why I need therapy. I mean, among other reasons. Um, do you ever find that you become anxious and you think too much about things around you that are out of your control? Because that's something that I've never been able to completely dispel from my life either. Um, things that are externally environmental that are very worrisome that you just cannot control. Things that people do in other states, other cities, things that they do at protests, at school board meetings, and 
you can't control them. You can't possibly control them. But you worry about them anyway. You get really anxious about them anyway. And you get anxious about how how they affect the but basically the world around you, the outside world around you. You worry about when there will actually be an end in sight for, I don't know, the coronavirus. And you just allow yourself to get hung up on it. Maybe you don't. I don't know, but I suspect I'm not the only person with this sort of a phenomenon going on in their mind. I can't be the only person, but I have a very hard time controlling how much I think about it, how much I think about these things. It might be because I listen to the news about these things too much. But then I think, how much is too much paying attention to the news? Shouldn't you pay attention to the news a lot? How much really is too much? I honestly don't know where that line really exists. I consume an awful lot of news media in the form of podcasts, really. I don't really watch network news all that often, really at all. I only pay attention to, um, honestly, I subscribe to the Young Turks network and I get most of my news through the Young Turks. And so whatever I pick up from network news is typically what they report on from what network news is, uh, you know, their angles of reporting, if that makes any sense. Um, The Young Turks is more of an opinion-based news, you know, opinion-based independent news source media. And unabashedly so. But they will talk about the angles from which network news is reporting things and the reason the reasons why network news is covering certain things from certain angles. And of course, I worry about the people who were affected by the the recent hurricane, Hurricane Ida. It makes it makes healthcare all that more confounding in the South, in the states that were honestly not doing so hot with COVID. I mean, it's not like It's not like a lot of states are doing really well with it, but Mississippi and Louisiana definitely 
were doing very, very poorly. And suddenly they get hit with a hurricane. And that makes situations that much more dire for people who needed to get health care assistance, needed to get to a hospital, people who freshly developed cases who likely needed to get to a hospital, who needed to seek treatment, who maybe could have uh, kept a cap on things early by seeking treatment with monoclonal antibodies. And it makes access to getting a vaccine that much more difficult too, because suddenly you have large swaths of communities without without power and without transportation. So if someone was so inclined to go ahead and get their vaccine, suddenly it's that much harder for them to go and get it. And that makes me worry for them. I don't know how it couldn't. So I just, I worry about these things and it's difficult to process. It's difficult to keep myself from thinking about them. But what can I do? I'm just one person, and I'm one person who has an awful lot going on in his life, and it's not like even if I went down to these areas that I could really do much, that the National Guard and the Red Cross and and organizations there, you know, thereof are not already doing. You just have to hope for the best, you know that relief is getting to them. You just know that it can't be fast enough. So these are things that I struggle with. And I'll talk about more of these things in greater depth uh, later on. And of course, I would be remiss not to mention that this is uh, this episode. I'm recording this on September the 12th. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of September the 11th, which, of course, we all know. Another day on the calendar after Pearl Harbor Day that will always live in infamy and a day for which there really are no words. Um, I mentioned in a previous podcast that I had watched, um, you know, a docu-series on Netflix about 9-11 and about everything that unfolded afterwards with the war in Afghanistan 
and later on with the war in Iraq, catching all the way up to basically the point where we had finally withdrawn troops from Afghanistan. And it even covered um, it even covered the history of Afghanistan during the Cold War, the development and the rise of Al Qaeda, and all of that sort of thing. Um, turning point is what is what it's called. 9/11 turning point. Uh, you can watch it on Netflix. Really good documentary series. Um, but in the news media coverage that day of 9-11, when broadcasters were following the events, were following the, of course, the planes hitting the towers, and then, of course, the, the cataclysmic collapse of of the of the towers the remarks that they had were essentially that that there are no words that they had no words for what was happening and that rings true today. That rings true today. That there are no words. You, you can say, I can say, that it's a day that lives in infamy. But that's, that's just one thing, right? That's just one way of putting it, but there really are no words for what happened. And there's no, there's still no way of making it right, making it feel better for the families who lost loved ones, for those who lost friends, it's there's there are no words there's not really a way to console those people and i've told the story before but i'll never forget walking around the 911 memorial and seeing the the cascading waterfalls where the towers once were seeing the overwhelming amount of names that were listed around and just breaking down and crying because you feel the immense loss it's beautiful. The entire memorial is absolutely beautiful. But you do feel the holes. And you do feel the loss. 
even though you may not have any relations to any of the people there. You may just be a visitor from from the Midwest and you don't know anybody listed in those names. You still feel the holes and you feel the immense loss and you know that you're standing in a place where there used to be two massive towers and you know that you're standing in a place where there used to be so much rubble so much twisted metal that took years to to clear out and exca- and excavate and and clean up you know you're standing in a place where for years there were two beacons of light that replaced two towers and you ju- and i just broke down and i cried and i cried and i couldn't stop crying and i just had to you know sit on one of the benches under a tree and i had just had to i just had to sit in that sorrow i just had to try to process that sorrow for for a moment And I don't think that I processed the sorrow. There just comes a point where you can't cry anymore. Because you stop producing tears after a point. You just stop producing the tears. It didn't make me any less sad. When my eyes dried, but there did come a point where we did have to leave, and and I had to leave the point the place where I was sitting and and the place where I had wept so much and and I thought that if I cried so much for people I didn't know and for the staggering loss that 
I had only witnessed on television when I was 11 years old how much how much more profound how much worse was the sadness for any one person who could go to the 9-11 memorial and read a name of someone they knew, of someone they had lost, and how much greater the tears were, how much longer they would stay at that park bench under a tree, how much more they would mourn their sorrow, their sadness, it would be much more than mine was. It would be so much more. So there is a never forget element that I think, that I hope other generations younger generations than mine who never got to witness it in the way that even I did, who never saw the events unfold on a, on a small television, who were born afterwards. I hope that they never forget either, in a sense. I hope that the 9-11 memorial, in a way, helps them feel what I had felt, helps them feel the, the, the loss, the holes the holes and the loss that I had felt on that day. Because honestly, I think, I think all of us should have a, a good cry about that. Not to say that, you know, not to say that anybody who doesn't is a bad person. That's not what I'm driving at. But there is that element where I just hope that that event and those lives don't become simply a date on a calendar. Just just buried with the sands of time. And fortunately, we have that, that memorial. And, um, and a museum that's next to it. The museum that is there now wasn't open when I was there. But there's also a museum there too. Um, 
fortunately those are there to to help people never forget uh, in the same way that the Oklahoma City bombings has a beautiful memorial and a really uh, a really good museum to go with it to which I have also been and I was I was very very young when the Oklahoma City bombings happened um, when that bombing happened I was very young and I can hardly remember just really I can hardly remember any of the media coverage of that event but going to the memorial and going through the museum does make it all that much more real. Almost as though I was a generation that hadn't seen it. Because I didn't see it. I really don't remember the media coverage that well at all. So... I don't think my parents even really wanted me to see it when I was that age. So I'm just glad that there is something that's beautiful and yet at the same time carries the weight of that tragedy to preserve that memory for for us who even at age 11 was were able to see that and for older generations who were able to process it more and for younger generations who didn't experience it at all um yeah let's never forget i know that's heavy but let's never forget. We'll be right back. And we're back. And as in a bridge from where I'd left off there in the cold open, um, As staggering as 9-11 truly is, what is also very staggering is the loss of life that has been endured from the coronavirus. We have suffered in terms of deaths umpteen times 9-11s from the coronavirus. And I'm I used to be at a point where I was very angry because it was so easy to be angry about the situation. It was so easy to be angry about anti-maskers. 
and it was so easy to be angry about anti-vaxxers. It was so easy. But I've gotten to a point where my anger has subsided and has, I don't know if, if evolved is the right term or if devolved is the right term, but one or the other, it has transitioned into definitely frustration. Frustration definitely exists. Frustration is definitely there. But also sadness. A lot of sadness. Sadness that there's been so much loss of life and people are still so ardent in their beliefs, their stances against masking and against getting a simple vaccination. It's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. It's to see hospitals filled up and saturated with COVID cases, with ICUs full of COVID cases, with people who, you know, once they're intubated, that's, that's, that's very well the, the end of the line. Once they're innovated, that's very much, that's very much it. To see ICUs full of that and as someone who is currently in school to become a medical assistant and to know that this is testing and pushing so many people in the medical field to their limits. It sometimes makes me question if this was the right time. Just sometimes it makes me question because there is that, there is the nationwide nursing shortage. There's even a nationwide shortage of medical assistance. People are getting burnt out. And it's, and in a lot of cases, it's because these professionals can't keep going. It's because they retire early. It's because they go to find something else to do because they can't keep going to work knowing that they're going to work to watch people die. 
They got into healthcare. They got into medicine because because they wanted to make people better. Because in normal, quote-unquote, times, when people were in ICUs, they would typically go to step-down ICUs. People would get better. You wouldn't see staggering losses of life like this. You wanted to see people get better. Sure, people died. People die every day. But not because of an outbreak of a virus that's preventable with a vaccine and treatable because of the vaccine that helps you if you do get the if you do by chance get the virus while having the vaccine it makes the virus a whole lot less to deal with you can also be treated with monoclonal antibodies and you will likely more than likely get better I'm living proof of that. I did happen to contract the coronavirus while I am vaccinated, but my symptoms were not in any way really severe at all. I did get treated with monoclonal antibodies, and I felt better within seven days. All I had were mild cold symptoms. And it wasn't even the worst cold that I ever had. I've had worse colds. I had a worse cold when I was working in a a school doing a community outreach for the YMCA. And everybody in the staff working at that school, basically all the teachers, all the all of the administrative staff, And uh, all of us at the YMCA staff who were working there, all of us got that cold. It was awful. It was a really, really bad cold. It took me a week and a half to get over it. It took my voice away for like a few days. It was, it was such a nasty cold. It was, maybe it was a, because a lot of colds do come in a form of a coronavirus, but they are not so highly transmittable like this one is, and they are not nearly so deadly like this one is, and typically you get over them. Some of them come in the form of a rhinovirus, whether it was a, you know, whether it was a little coronavirus or whether it was a... um rhinovirus i don't know but it was pretty nasty but after a week and a half i got over it but this coronavirus is obviously much different in the way that it actually does kill people 
in the way that it actually does really mess with you. It has shown that it does have long haul effects that after you get over it, there are people who do have long haul coronavirus symptoms and they don't know if they're ever going to go away. They hope that they do, but they don't know if they will. And obviously it does do things like take away your sense of taste or smell, which you may not recover for weeks or months. And it can put you in the hospital. A common cold does not put you in the hospital. Some people will go to the ER thinking that their common cold is the flu and find out that it wasn't. Sometimes they'll find out that their cold was actually um, a case of strep throat. But even strep throat doesn't wind you up in the hospital. This is something that makes me very sad for this country. And I worry about it. I worry about it a lot. I worry about when we'll actually see the end. Will it be next spring? Will it be next summer? Will it be next fall? When are we even going to see the peak of current infections? These are questions that I obviously can't answer. According to Dr. Fauci, we might see the end maybe next spring. But right now, we're at a point where it's 10 times the pandemic load to be able to say we're at the end 10 times the caseload to be able to say that we're at the end that's 10 times too much that's you know not even not even more than 53% of the national average of people in this country are vaccinated that's abhorrent that's absolutely abhorrent. What are we waiting for? I don't know what, what we're waiting for. What the alarm bell is. The alarm bell is already rung. The alarm bell is rung. It's still ringing. People should be flocking to get their vaccines, and yet they're not. And you see people, and I don't know how really prevalent it actually is, but you see people raiding even farm supply stores for ivermectin and taking too much. 
and even in cases dying from taking unsafe amounts of ivermectin, which does not in any way, shape, or form treat a virus because it's an antiparasitic. And a virus is not a parasite. Why would you trust a medication that is not meant for a virus over a vaccine that is meant to prevent a virus? This boggles my mind. And I worry about it. It makes me anxious. And I, I know I, I knew I said I was going to talk about something else that still bothers me to this day that I should be over, that I should be well past, but somehow I'm not. And my therapist wanted me to process as I go into the next time that I go to see my, my uh, therapist. And, you know, establishing a relationship and a connection with a new therapist is always interesting. It's always an interesting uh, sort of transition. Um, but it's a therapist who takes my insurance, so... That's something that I need. Um, and one of the things I discussed is that while there's the turmoil in my head worrying about all these external environmental things that are going on in the news, a lot of which are about coronavirus, um, some of which are not, but, but a lot of which are. Um, there's also a part of me that still is having a very difficult time moving on from my longest relationship my relationship that I had starting when I was in in college, starting my uh, food and nutrition health and wellness degree in 2012. And, and ended roughly around 2000 just just before 2020ish it was a very long relationship to remember exactly when 
it ended is honestly kind of hard for me to do because when it ended, I had a level three concussion and she left me in the middle of my recovering from it. And remembering dates from that time is still really hard for me. I can, I can hardly trace it. It's still really hard. And maybe that's part of why it's hard for me to move past it. And things didn't end on great terms. I don't think it's really possible for a relationship that lasts that long to end on good terms. Maybe it is for some people, but in our case, it just didn't. And I'm... I, I I mentioned that I missed the person who I I knew because just like I'm not the same person who I was then, you know, I've aged a couple years, I've changed with the years. I've learned from mistakes from that relationship. She wouldn't be the same person either. And I don't know if I would really entirely know or recognize the person that she would be now. Maybe I would. Maybe I would. Maybe it wouldn't be all that different. Maybe it wouldn't really be all that different. But maybe it would be. I can't say. But these are the things that I kind of think about sometimes. And it's hard for me to process it because I never got to process it the right way. And my therapist said to me that the problem is that, well, and I mentioned that I'm haunted by the memory. I'm haunted by those memories. And he mentioned that the reason why you're haunted is because you're looking at the memory as a bookcase. You should be able to take a memory from a bookshelf look at it for what it is, and then put it back on the bookshelf. But you can't, because your memory is the, the entire bookcase. And you're looking at the entire bookcase the entire time. And you're obsessing over the bookcase. Your memory needs to be the bookshelf or your memory needs to be something that you can just put onto the bookshelf 
examine it for what it is and put it back. I'm not sure how to do that. Because there are so many memories. It feels like all of those memories would take up an entire bookcase of them in of themselves. There are so many of them. They would take up their own bookcase. So they are a bookcase. I can't just examine one memory or compact everything into one memory and examine it and put it back. There's an entire volume of works. They take up an awful lot of space. How do I condense that? How do I just put something into a category? I've lived, I've had relationships since that point, but, you know, none of them lasted even a year. Um, I had one that lasted more than half a year. And I still sometimes think about that relationship. I think about her sometimes, but not, not nearly to the, not nearly to that extent. It's not a volume of works. That memory I can put back on a bookshelf. That memory doesn't have its own bookcase. That memory just does go back onto a bookshelf. I understand that to a point. I think I just had that realization right now. That memory I can put back onto a bookshelf. It doesn't haunt me. But eight years? That's the Encyclopedia Britannica. It takes up a lot of space. Do you ever completely move on from something like that? Can anyone? And if you do, how? And I guess this is the rabbit hole that I'm going to start going down with my therapist because I don't know how to do that. Does it just get smaller with more time that goes by? Does it just condense itself more and more with time that goes past? And right now, 
I do want to be in a relationship with someone. I do want to be dating someone. But I don't have a whole lot of time that I can spend with someone because of my hectic schedule, my very busy schedule with work and night class. I only get my weekends free, really. I would really only be able to date somebody on a weekend basis, which I guess is okay. But how do I know that I'm not trying to fill a hole where I feel there is a hole or that I actually am pursuing someone who I actually really want to genuinely be with? How do I know that I'm not just trying to fill the hole of a memory that I can't get past. I'm not entirely sure. My feelings are really mixed. And I guess if they're that mixed, maybe I shouldn't be dating anybody. But if I don't date anybody, then how will I know what my feelings are? <sighs> These are my continued adventures. And coincidentally, I am going on a date tonight. And with somebody who... I, you know, didn't officially date before somebody who I kind of dropped the ball with, someone who I wasn't sure if I was trying to just fill a hole with or what I was doing, but we're going on a date tonight, and I guess I'll see where that goes. I guess I'll see where that goes. My adventures are confusing. But I have to be forward and frank with, with this person and say, I don't have all the time in the world to spend with you. I can't really do things during the week. Because my time is so limited. I mean, I'm at school almost until 2,200 hours at night. And then I get home and I have to sleep and I have to go to work the next morning. And wash, rinse, and repeat. And if that's not really acceptable, then... There's no point in really moving forwards. And that's really tough. 
so it makes you wonder if the date's even really worth having. But you never really know until you have it. So, so I guess that's why I'm doing it. Oh, dear me. The adventures continue. The adventures always continue. We'll be right back with final thoughts. And welcome to Final Thoughts. The thoughts of finality, the thoughts that are so final, they cannot be taken back. That is why they are called Final Thoughts. Ha <laughs> ha. So um, on one, one thing I want to do is I want to plug another podcast. Um, the, the last episode of this podcast was honestly uh, so, so moving and was just a very powerful episode. And I want to plug the podcast. It's called the Anal Podcast, A.N.A.L. A New American Legacy. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Anchor. You can find it on really anywhere where you get your podcasts. You can find it on Pocket Casts. You can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Google Podcasts. Uh, I really encourage you to go and uh, look it up. The last episode was just very moving, very powerful. Um, I, I was, you know, it really pulled at my heartstrings while I was listening to it. Um, yeah, it really pulled at my, it really pulled at my heartstrings. So I very much encourage you to look that up. Um, the anal podcast, a new American legacy, just search for that. Uh, you will not, you will not regret it. And, um, honestly, it's part of, you know, a little bit of the moral quandary of getting into healthcare right now. Um, and just the healthcare situation that, that currently exists with COVID patients filling up ERs, filling up ICUs, and honestly, as a prospective future MA, um, my, my dream has been to work in an ER. If I can't work in an ER, I would love to work in a lab um, or maybe work in an ICU. I've really always wanted to work somewhere where 
quote unquote the action is but it's really kind of frightening to know that I could be entering the field in a very devastating moment for healthcare. And listen, I won't be, uh, you know, graduating until the spring, but it does really make me just, you know, ponder sometimes. Uh, if I made the right move or if I made the right move at the right time. And I think it's good to question. I think it's good to question because it it makes you question your own resolve about what you're doing. And if you can think about that and you can still say to yourself, yes, this is something that I want to do this is what I want to train for. This is where I want to be. Then, then you're in a good place mentally to keep on studying and to do the best that you can so that you can be the best that you can be once you graduate and once you get into the field, once you start doing your externship. And once you take your uh, your test to become either a registered medical assistant or to become a certified medical assistant, whichever test you take, um, the the difference is um, very minute. Registered and certified are recognized everywhere, so. The difference is minute, but <clears throat> pardon me. If you can question that and find your resolve is still there to keep pushing and to get into it, then you're in a good place. But, but question it nevertheless is sometimes makes you. Talk like Yoda, sometimes it also does. <laughs> oh, boy. And it's also good to get back into therapy. Um, I think really everyone can always stand to benefit from therapy. No matter, no matter what you have going on in your life, no matter what you have going on in your mind, it's always good to be able to go back into therapy, to be in therapy. We all have things that we face. We all have um, our inner struggles, our inner demons. We all have things that we face day to day, week to week, that, that can require sussing out, uh, discussing, and really getting out there with a trained professional who knows how to help us process those thoughts and and categorize them 
in our minds in a way that we weren't able to on our own. Whether whether it's for general anxiety disorder, for PTSD, for for any depressive disorder, for bipolar disorder, for ADHD, for any for any diagnosis, it's it's good to be able to seek therapy, to seek counseling and and to have that someone who's able to help you process through thoughts that you just weren't able to process on your own. Even if it, no matter how much work it takes, no matter how much work it takes, it's good to have that. Therapy can benefit anyone. Therapy can benefit anyone. So that's really all I have for today. I'm thinking about possibly switching uh, platforms from, from Anchor to a different platform. I'm not totally sure yet, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, oh yeah, I've never uh, explained why I end things with Katakai. Katakai! As God made her! I've never really explained that. It's actually a tribute, a little tip of the hat, to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. So, the story being that, uh, there was a time when Conan O'Brien had dinner with James Lipton and James Lipton had a, um, a painting of his wife, but, you know, behind him at the, at the table. And there was an acknowledgement of the painting and his wife's name is Katakai. His wife's name was Katakai. And James Lipton said, Yes, Katakai! As God made her. And it became a... It became a thing on the podcast. And now if you see Conan O'Brien anywhere, you can just yell, Katakai! And Conan will answer, as God made her. And it's a thing for fans of the podcast. So for me, it's a tip of the hat to that podcast. So that's why I end the, the credits with Katakai. It's me paying some homage to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. In case you don't listen to that podcast. And I highly recommend Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. You should definitely listen to it. It's one of the funniest podcasts out there. Um, it's probably one of the most successful podcasts out there. Um, aside from uh, aside from WTF with Mark Marin, it's probably 
one of the most successful podcasts and it and uh, it didn't take long to become one of the most successful podcasts that's out there today. So I highly recommend checking it out. So now I've explained myself. Now you know, and I hope that uh, I hope that you go check that podcast out because it's a lot of fun. Now you're just let down. Now you're just like, oh, what a bummer. I really wish you hadn't have told me the story. I really like the story that I'd made up in my own head about why you said it. Well, now I've crushed it. So sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I crushed whatever story you made up about why I say it. Maybe you can just keep that story living in your head. Just forget whatever it is I said keep your own story alive and have fun with it. But now I've told you the truth so that you know that as well. And of course, we're going to end this podcast the way that I end all of my podcasts. I just have to get to the right page. You know, it's worn into... There we go. St. Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 through 40. Applicable whether you're religious or not. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill, or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, Whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. You did for me. So go get your vaccine. Do something good for someone. You did it for you. You did it for me. You did it for God. You did it for someone else. You just did something good, all right? What more do you need? What more do you need? What more motivation do you need to do something good for someone? I don't know. But I think that that's a powerful, you know, collection of verses right there. 35 through 40. I think that's, I think that's powerful. Ill and you cared for me. Naked, you clothed me. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You see that guy on the side of the road with a sign asking for any help. God bless. Give him a sandwich. Run by a McDonald's or something and give him something. Give him something to drink. Run by a gas station. Get a couple Gatorades and get a 
to-go sandwich or something, get it to them. Do something good for someone. And get your vaccine. I may be preaching to a choir, but you know what? I don't care. Get your vaccine. Because you did it for you and you did it for everybody else. And that's a powerful thing. And wear your mask. And wash your hands. You did it for you and you did it for everyone else. Ill and you cared for me. Ill and you cared for me. Get your vaccine. And talk to others about it. Stop talking about, well, they're a lost cause. I stopped talking to them about the vaccine. They're a lost cause. Keep talking to them about it. I don't care if you think they're a lost cause. Keep talking to them about it. They'll come around. They'll come around. Keep nudging them. Keep nudging them. They'll come around. This has been episode 14, and I'm signing off. Good night! This has been another episode of Jacob's Bipolar Adventures. Tune in next week for another episode. Our intro music was brought to you by Scott Holmes, Free Digital Music Archive. Our producer is me, Jacob Lehman. Executive producer, also me, Jacob Lehman. All of this was brought to you by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. You can find this podcast on anywhere where you get your podcasts. Be it Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else where fine podcasts are downloaded. Katakai! As God made her! <laughs>